The Galapagos Islands are home to Darwin's famous finches, known for their unique charms and demeanors. But one of those aquiline avians has a sinister way of getting its meal. It started out with a kiss, how did it end up like this? And by this we mean going from a harmless little finch to a vicious blood-sucking parasite. But if there's one thing we know about finches, it's that they know how to adapt to life, death, and taxonomy. Welcome back to Life, Death, and Taxonomy. It's your 30 minutes of interesting animal information. I'm Joe. And I'm Carlos. Thank you to Cassie for the creation of our theme song. To hear more of Cassie's music, please search Cassie and Michelle on YouTube or Spotify. And thank you to Johanna for the creation of this week's artwork. To check that out, you can visit us at our home on the web at ldtaxonomy.com. And a very special thank you to our patrons, Stu Tristan Taylor, Jesse Raspolich, Carol Raspolich, and Richard Kaspar. Thank you so much for your support. It's greatly appreciated. Thanks for helping us keep the lights on. And today we're talking about a ghoulish ground bird, but more on that later. Yeah, we once again missed the the boat on this. Um, we do, we do sharks on every, any week but Shark Week, and we do the 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 spooky, scary uh, animals on any month but October. So, mm-hmm. although we did do the vampire bat in October, that's true. But we should have done this one in October. But whatever. This this is. This is fine. What are we doing? We're talking about another vampire, a vampire finch, or a vampire ground finch. Yeah, bet you didn't think finches could be vampiric. Bet you didn't think finches could live on the ground. I mean, they got feet, right? They do. So, I mean, the ground's a possibility. But, we're going to call it here. The IV League. V for Vendetta or V for Vampire? V for Vampire. No, IV. You know, intravenous. Introvert. Because they're brainy birds or they're veiny birds. Uh, the Boo Boo Biter. The, <laughs> the Hematarian. Like a vegetarian. Hemoglobin. Uh, the Bloody Canary. It's delicious drink to get rid of a hangover i guess um and then the song bird song being spelled s-a-n-g french word for blood ah uh, the saw bird the song bird i thought it was s-a-w like the scary movie yeah i guess there's blood in that one i've never seen a saw movie and i never Neither will I. so uh watch it. would you like to know what it is called scientifically Yes. It's in the kingdom you know, love, and are in the kingdom Animalia. It's in the phylum that you know, love, and are in the phylum Chordata. It's in the class that leaves you in the dust by taking to the skies. The class is Aves. The order is Passeriformes, uh, which is crows and finches in every in most and most like typical songbirds and. S- lots of stuff. It's the largest order of birds. Yeah. It's in the family 
Anthropidae. Sure. It's in the genus Geospiza. Geospiza? Geospiza? Sure. Yeah, probably not. It's like geosities. (laughs) Metrosity. Uh, The species is Septentrionalis. Septentrionalis? Septentrionalis? Trionalis, yeah. Geospiza septentrionalis. Interesting. Well, since we're in the business of naming things, it's time for my favorite part of the show, Critter Groups, the part of the show where I ask you, Joe, a question, and that question is the same every time. What is the name of a group of this animal, or what is the term of entry, or what is the collective noun? And we're talking finches. We're back on birds, baby. Uh, and, and those uh, ornithologists are great with their collective nouns. Usually. The last one, I forgot what bird we did, but they didn't have a good one for it. So I was a little disappointed. But finches, they've got a collective noun. So if you saw a group of finches, would you call it A, an atrium of finches, B, a brood of finches, C, a charm of finches, or D, a dazzle of finches. Atrium, brood, charm, dazzle. A, B, C, D. Atrium's a good one because there's often finches in an atrium. Like when there's an open like skylight. Uh, but I'm going to go with a charm of finches, final answer. That is correct. Woo! It's, it this is, is the ch- first one in a while, I think. It is a charm of finches. That's charming. Unlike David... No, his, his name's not David Finch. His name is David Lynch. Never mind. There is a David Fincher. Oh, I almost called it Baticus Finch. But that's like, there's, because I had Vampire Bat on one side, I had Vampire Finch on the other side, and then the To Kill a Mockingbird protagonist in the the middle. I don't don't think all those threads combined well enough. Yeah, there's uh, David Fincher. That's Fight Club and Seven and Gone Girl and Zodiac. Fincher. I've only seen Fight Club of those movies, but... I haven't seen Fight Club, but I've seen Seven. Yeah, sounds like he's not that charming. (laughs) Oh, would you like to know what it looks like? Sure. The description is as follows. Uh, There's some sexual dimorphism between males and females, as is common with birds. Males are black and females are gray with brown streaks, little speckles. So they have squat bodies like a typical finch. They look like a finch. If you've seen a finch in your backyard or something or in an atrium somewhere, they look like that. But their beaks are short, sharp, and curved slightly downward. Not downward like a uh, like a parrot, but like just uh, a slight curve downward. 
So some have orange or partially orange beaks, and that's their only splash of color. Uh, but other than that, they look like a typical finch. Um, so that brings us to what is the size? Wait, isn't a finch the bird in Bugs Life? It could be it something looks, like it that. It looks like it. A finch or a canary. Because if it's really uh, short and sharp beak. Uh, but let's talk about how how big it is. Welcome to the Blood Measure Up segment. The Beloved Measure Up segment. The official listener's favorite part of the show. The part of the show when we present the animal size and dimensions in relatable terms. Through a quiz that's fun for the whole family. It's also a part of the show that's introduced by you when you send an audio of yourself saying, seeing or chittering, which is appropriate for a finch, I think. The words measure up into ldtaxonomy at gmail.com. We don't have a new measure up intro this week. That that means we get to hear from a finch and have the finch introduce the show. Sounds like a Batman villain. The finch. The Finch, yeah. Without further ado, the listener's favorite part of the show. That bird needs to settle down. Those birds, it's more than one. And it is not a, uh, it's not a vampire finch, but it is, it's a, called something called a society finch. We live in a society finch. We live in a cage. Society finch. <laughs> <laughs> and now I know why the caged bird sings. Uh, but yeah, let's talk about what. By the way, as a reminder, we are in the age of empathy when it comes to measure up, which means we're getting into some of the things that Carlos is interested in at the moment, or just generally, uh, because if you're gonna have to do math, you might as well be talking about something you care about. So let's talk length. They're five inches. These finches, um, or twelve centimeters. How many vampire finches go into the bigature of Minas Tirith that was used behind the scenes in the making of the Lord of the Rings? Here's a hint: a bigature is a nickname for a miniature scale model of Lord of the Rings locations that were large enough to fill rooms. So they weren't like true miniatures or like on a table, but these were. Like on the gr- built on the ground, but they're like. For instance, Minas Tirith, Minas Tirith was one twenty seventh scale, uh, the actual fictional city, and in some places it was as big as one fourteenth scale uh, for close ups. Yeah, that's what I'm thinking of. Is the is the 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 mini city they made that like. Gandalf could actually ride the horse through. Um, I don't think that's a bigature. That's probably like a section that's uh, that they a, a set, um, like a set. 
That's so just this, a set. This bigature is one twenty fourth. You said. Yeah, I think if you have uh, actors acting on it, it's just a set. Oh, I see. Okay. I miss the I miss the miniatures. Uh, way of shooting things. Something recently used miniatures. Oh, not recently. Um, Blade Runner 20-whatever-the-heck. Uh, the newest Blade Runner used miniatures. Really? Mm-hmm. Hmm. It's crazy how much work they they put into these things and then how it all, like, blends together. And how, like, now that I know that they're miniatures, I can, like, oh, I can kind of see that it's a miniature. But there's no way I would have been able to tell. There is something, like... It, the thing is, like, you never know it's because of that. You're just like, this looks cool. I'm noticing how cool this looks while I'm watching the movie. And that's it. Uh, and sometimes when the CGI is bad, it's like, this looks weird. <laughs> so, yeah, it's it's one of those things where it's like, if you're immersed in the movie... You're not thinking about it. So the people that worked really hard to immerse you in the movie don't get specific credit. It's like being the sound guy. Nobody notices when everything goes right. You wouldn't know anything about that, would you? I'm not technically the sound guy, but something a little little something like that. Stream guy. All right. I think that Minas... Are you talking about the height of Minas Tirith? Mm-hmm. All right, I think the height of Minas Tirith is 1,000 feet. That's, I'm talking that, about the scale, the actual scale model. Yeah, the bigature. yeah. No, no, yeah. Oh, I, you're you're working backwards. I see. Okay. Right, yeah. I th- I seem to remember at some point, I have we've either talked about it or I saw it in that art book that um Brian uh got me for that of of Lord of the Rings art that um it's i think a thousand feet tall um and i was really surprised i was like that seems kind of short we have you know skyscrapers that are more than a thousand feet tall and this is a building this is a a a whole city built into the side of a mountain um but that i think that that's, that's for some reason the number that's sticking out so um if it's 124th of that that means the bigature is 41 feet tall. Um, uh, it's one tw- 172 or 1 14th. I thought the 1 14th was the biggest, was the part that the the set that the... Uh, no, 1 14th is like certain sections that are used for like really close shots. Like when the camera goes under some arches or something like that. I think so, 172 was like establishing shots of the entire city and like And that's what we're going with. And sweeping shots. Yeah. Yeah, but also that could be square footage. That couldn't that might not tell you exactly how big it is. I'm going to go with height. Okay. Um I'm going to assume that it is it is just perfectly uh, all proportions are kept the same and it is just shrunk down. By 72. Okay, so that brings us to 13.8 feet tall. That makes a little bit more sense. Um, 
So I'm going to say 33 finches going to the height of the bigoture of Minas Tirith. Final answer. The Tower of the Guard. Yes. Did I ever tell you I made a... I, I wrote an essay in my film class about the scene between Minas Tirith and Minas Morgul saying that, oh, this Minas Morgul is the Tower of Dark... is the City of Darkness and that's what it means or City of Death and Minas Tirith is the, uh, the City of Light and that is 100% not what either of those two cities mean. <laughs> but my, my teacher was... Um, such a uh, a pretentious snob about films. He had never even like the idea of watching the Lord of the Rings had never even crossed his mind. So even um, though like pretentious snobs gave it like a million Oscars, yeah, it's a, it swept the Oscars. But he's he's not going to give it the time of day because he watches like weird old French movies, um, and. <laughs> So he had he obviously had to take me at my word unless he was going to do some research into the Lord of the Rings. And I'll tell you what, Stephen Charbonneau is not about to do that. That is a good strategy. Where you write you write something about something that your teacher hasn't read or watched. And it's or the longest like. thing you can think of. Yeah. So that like they can't just like sit down and watch it in two hours. It's like you have you have fourteen hours to uh, check my work. Nope. Okay. I mean, I I I I was making it up, but I also like, I just didn't do the research. I believed it. I was like, you know, the, these two sh the shots. You know, you have these two cities that both are kind of like shaped similarly in this kind of tiered level with a tower in the middle and. And they're, you know, they're in the same scene and two things are happening at the same time and one's bathed in light and one's bathed in darkness and there's death at one and bad guys and good guys and all of this, all the stuff. And I even equated to Gollum's good and bad side and all of the, the dichotomies there. And, uh, I made it sound really good. Um, but I also, I was obviously, uh, blowing smoke because I was, <laughs> was um, come to find out that one means the uh, tower of sorcery and the other one means the tower of the guard. <laughs> I was like, oh, imagine, kind of imagine wallowing in the filth of an art house movie and you, st <laughs> and, and, and not having seen the Lord of the Rings, the greatest film of all time. Uh, what a waste. What a waste. Well, that's because you are, you're, I mean, that's because you're a hipster. You you only like things because they're uh, unpopular, and they're un like you find the thing that is most unlikable, like an old French movie from the fifties, and that is the best movie you've ever seen, and not only has no one seen it, no one can like it. <laughs> so you it's are impossible to like. So, so you get to stand alone in your appreciation of this movie. And you everybody just likes the Lord of the Rings. You're just a dime a dozen. You're a little fish in a giant pond, but you want to be the biggest fish in a tiny pond. L like, I don't even remember the names of these movies, but gosh, we were subjected to some terrible, terrible, boring movies in that. In that Did uh, I tell you the movie that we watched when we were talking about the concept of uh, mise-en-scene or whatever? Which is like the the art Star of Wars the Episode frame. Two: Attack of the Clones. <laughs> no, <laughs> what what is I forget? Mise en scène is just like what is in frame. I I don't know what to directly translate. 
translates to. I forgot to, like, as well. It's been 10 years now. It's so. like the art of the frame. It's like the stuff that's in frame. Um, and this movie was like this French movie where there were like 10 to 30 seconds like before and after a scene where the camera stayed on the on the shot after the characters have left the scene the scene so it's like you're just watching like a house in a countryside or, or like the the front like yard of this house in the countryside where two people had just had a conversation and you're just watching it for the next like 30 seconds. Yeah, I mean, it's this it, it it it's the same exact approach the feeling I have with like Andy Warhol's Campbell's chicken noodle soup can or a Jackson Pollock painting or something like that. Like this is laziness that I'm looking at right now. And but it's, you know, people have people latch on to that and say like I I defy you to like this with me. Well, it's it's deconstruction. Deconstruction stinks. I hate deconstruction as a concept. <laughs> you should be con- it's like deconstructing without constructing. You're you're going to take like something that like tropes and things like that. Like that movie was like let's ex- like let's make the viewer feel like the place is real. They stay where like the the world continues to exist when the scene is over. It's like, okay, but the movie's bad. You've played with this concept, cool. Only film students are gonna have to watch this, and they're gonna be forced to. But this is bad. You made a bad art. Uh it's like we shot and- a movie and everyone is doing handstands the whole time because their world is upside down. <laughs> like yeah, uh, but you've made a. But what we're watching is a bad thing. We're watching yeah. something that's not good. It's not enjoyable to my brain. <laughs> um, anyway, we have, this is a massive tangent. Yeah. So let's talk about weight. Wait, did I tell you the answer? No, no I didn't. It's fifty-eight finches. Mini Minas Tirith was about seven meters or twenty-two feet eleven oh, inches said, high. What did I say? Thirty-three. I said. Yeah. 30, oh darn it. Seven meters. Seven meters, 22 feet. That's a... Okay, so yeah. It it's was a obviously big not a, mini. Not a one-to-one, or not a proportional for its height. Yeah, so I don't know which sections of it were like differently scaled. Or I was 14th. just... I am just wrong about what Tolkien said that was the height of Ministerium. That's true. That could be it. Uh, let's talk weight. They're 20 grams or 0.7 ounces. How many finches go into the fully submerged displacement weight of a German submarine U1, the, the German submarine uh, U-178? So when I said Norse mythology, you're like Tolkien. He uses North, Norse mythology, his legendary. You tell me something I can measure in Norse mythology that's not bonkers nonsense. And I will do it. <laughs> uh, like, because it's all like, I looked up how heavy, I just put in Norse mythology, how heavy. And then it was just, how heavy is Mjolnir? And it's all, ha- it all has to do with the movie. Because in Marvel, they give a weight for it. But 
There's no wait for. There was somebody like there was like a Quora form that people were like, I or uh, it could have been Reddit, but like how heavy in Norse mythology, not the movies, was Mjolnir? I feel like I never get a straight answer, and everyone in the comments was like, you don't get a straight answer because there isn't one. Because it's they didn't not real. Give a wait for this <laughs> fake. Like fantasy hammer. Uh, <laughs> uh, that's, that's actually pretty good. Um, well, I mean, it doesn't matter how heavy it is. It's like it's, you know, normal hammer weight to Thor and it's unmovable to anyone else. So it's, you know, okay. It's, yeah. it's infinitely heavy or it's, you know, 10 pounds. Um, so... And then I like that. That's it. Like, there's the world serpent. How heavy is that? It, it doesn't <laughs> exist. Um, <laughs> how heavy is the biggest book on this stuff? Or how tall is Tyr? Oh, so like I went to like German World War II because I knew that Hitler was obsessed with um, Norse North Norse mythology. So I was thinking maybe there's a World War II plane that was n- nicknamed after something in Mor- Norse mythology. But it wasn't like he, the the propaganda was mainly in like actual propaganda, trying to recruit Scandinavian German like this you know Scandinavians to the motherland and being like uh, so they use like be a Viking and come like do go on Vikings and go to war and stuff. So there was no it wasn't like fully like a theme that he went with everywhere. So I just went with a regular U-boat. So here's a hint. The U-178 was the largest World War II German submarine with a length of 287 feet. It sank 13 Allied vessels and damaged another one, uh, including troop transports, merchant ships, and cargo ships. It mainly took out, like, boats moving stuff. Like, I didn't see, like... Did it take out a major like battleship or anything like that? So cowards, coward boat. Uh, oh, you sunk your like your 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 merchant ship, your cargo ship. Look at us, cowards. If the ally, if this is, we're talking about an allied submarine, that's, I would say that's good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> that's a Zap Brannigan move. He, like uh, defeated the 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 senior people of the elderly planet <laughs> his amazing conquest <laughs> i'm gonna say this thing's half a million pounds because i have no idea how much a submarine weighs i imagine it can weigh a lot more than i'm thinking because it's underwater mm-hmm. and it's not subject That's why and it's, it's never out of water so it's not subject to the same structural integrity that like a boat would be well, that's why you're going with the fully submerged displacement weight. Yeah, what does that mean? No idea. But it's different when the boat's in the uh, uh, on the surface because partially it's partially not submerged. I'm still just going to go with half a million pounds. That sounds like a number. Um, and how heavy did you say this finch is 250,000 pounds so i can make this easy on me no 0.7 ounces so basically oh. great 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 yeah 20 grams um, 
So that's 8 million um, ounces. 11.4 million finches. Final answer? Yes. The correct answer is 89.9 million finches. Mm. The fully submerged displacement weight was 1799 tones, tonnes, or uh, 100 or 1771 long tons. That's a lot of tons. Yeah. It was a big boat. The concept of a submarine, I know like there's it's kind of topical right now. Is it? Yeah, there's a have you not heard about the submarine that's gone missing? There was a no. like a uh private um submersible called the Titan that was going like taking a bunch of like basically sightseeing um rich people, rich explorers uh down to see the Titanic. And it's uh they lost contact with it and they don't know where it is. And it's been a couple of days. And they huh. have like 40 hours of air left. But they recently heard like tapping at 30 minute intervals in the area where it should be. So that could be them. The main theory is that it's like stuck in the wreckage. Like it made it to uh, the Titanic and got stuck somewhere. Or it just completely lost power and it's just drifting somewhere. Imagine how scary. It's super scary to be adrift at sea with no way of contacting anyone. But imagine being adrift under the sea. Not just under the sea. Where the Titanic is. You know that? (laughs) Yeah. That ship that's famously hard to look at (laughs) because of how far below the Arctic (laughs) Ocean it is. That's uh that's a that is um a primal fear of mine. Um, you want to know how even more primal this fear is? This submarine is bolted from the outside when they 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 are sealed into it, which is crazy. Why? The can't the, get, I don't the the design. No, no. So even if they surface, they need people to find them. To let them have air. They've got to have some sort of like intake. Straw? No, yeah, nothing. They've got to have some sort of straw. There's no intake to like cycle air at the surface? Well, no. Who designed this, this, this death It's trap? a submarine. You're not spending a lot of time at the surface. But submarines have that. They surface they, so that they can cycle air. That's what they like do. But like big submarines do. Because they're like on missions. This is supposed to have gone down, looked around, come back up, cracked open. And like, this really, like such a bad idea. It, well, yeah, <laughs> it does. Also, um, it is controlled by a off-brand P- uh, Logitech PS4 controller. <laughs> And this is what billionaires are in this thing. Yeah, well, like they they I I saw something today that like apparently like the it's kind of a jerry rigged thing, 
but it's not that weird for people, rich people to um, custom build things that are kind of jerry-rigged like that. And, and in fact, a lot of the private planes that are in the air are like custom built like that and have weird little oddities like that. And they're, they're totally fine if experts build them, but are they totally fine? It seems like the leading cause of death of, (laughs) of celebrities is airplane and helicopter accidents. Fair enough. But I mean, if you fly a lot, you really increase your chances, but yeah, um, there's, I have so little desire to go and see the Titanic. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I mean, if I want to see a big sunken ship, there are lots of places where you can go see a big sunken ship, bigger sunken ships. I don't want to see that one. And that is, and best case scenario is you're going to see like whatever a flashlight illuminates of a, sh- of a, a hundred year old cruise, cruise ship. That's tiny by today's standards. It's just famous. And that's it. If I want, if I wanted to go down and explore an underwater wreck, I would go see the um, the uh, the aircraft carriers that sunk in the Red Sea. You don't have to go, you know, four thousand feet below the surface. Um, the water is a lot warmer and it's a lot safer. So, and it's cooler. I think that'd be cooler to see. Yeah, anyway. this is this is a it's kind of controversial because like this could be like a, a the Martian kind of where all of the humanity is like paying attention to like, are we going to rescue these people? But people hate rich people so much that they're talking, they're just like besmirching these guys. Be like, you idiots, you shouldn't have gone down there. And you shouldn't have like, you shouldn't like rich people should like not spend their money on frivolous things like this. And rich people shouldn't be rich, uh, kind of thing, which is I like, definitely ah. don't. I definitely wouldn't have, I wouldn't have done it. Don't do what they did if I were in their position. I'm not going to yoke anyone's yak if they have a lot of money and they want to give it to other people to help them get down and see the Titanic. That's that's fine. Just um, does it have to be something that's bolted from the outside and controlled by a PS4 controller? (laughs) Did you have to drive it into the wreckage? Like, couldn't you just look at it from the outside? Oh, we don't know if that's what happened, (laughs) but that was that's a theory. You got to be stuck somewhere. Either that or everybody just passed out. Uh, at the same time, anyway, I'm getting the I'm getting the the willies just thinking about it. Yeah. Um. Do you have any more fast facts before we get to the major fact? Uh, ne- uh Yes, I do. Uh, they're native to the Galapagos, Wolf, and Darwin Islands, which are all very close together. They have distinct calls based on the island they live on. Uh, they have a what is called a lilting song on Wolf Island. I don't know what that word means. Lilt, lilting. I've heard it a lot, but I don't. Yeah, don't know what it's. It means. It's. I've heard it. Well, I'm not. I've never actually heard it spoken before now, but I've seen it written a lot regarding music. And it's like okay. It means speak, sing, or sound with a lilt. Very good. Good. Very great, good. Great definition. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> a characteristic rising and falling of the voice when speaking, a pleasant, gentle accent. And I would have I wouldn't have been surprised if you looked up what what is a lilt and 
and the definition is something that is characteristic of lilting. <laughs> uh, so on Wolf Island, they lilt. Uh, and there's a buzzing song on Darwin Island, and both islands have a whistling call. The finches there's like to eat. There's a common language. The common yeah. tongue. The common tongue. The finches like to eat uh, seeds and bugs, but they will also drink the nectar of the Galapagos prickly pear flower, which sounds pretty good and way better than bugs. It's juice. I, I agree. From a flower. The vampire finch is listed as vulnerable by the IUCN because it lives in a very specific environment that has been affected by invasive species. Same. <laughs> hey, isn't there? A, I I did read that there's a South Florida community that's um that's being quarantined because of the presence of a giant African land snail, which we've talked about on the show before. Yeah. So you guys better. Keep your snails to yourself. Yeah, yeah. They need to. They need like uh, metal detecting machines for snails. <laughs> Snail detectors. <laughs> I need that in Elden Ring. Those yeah, s- s- snails that s- summon enemies to come and beat your face in. <laughs> but that's all I got for that. Do you have any big facts? I do. We're going to call this major fact, you're a mean one, Mr. Finch. Uh, So like you said, vampire finches are usually omnivorous. They eat seeds and nectar. Uh, They'll also eat bird eggs. They'll eat fish. uh, And even that delicious mm, guano. (laughs) Uh, (laughs) But these things aren't always in abundance. Um, and when their usual food sources are scarce, they turn to a more diabolical source of food. Large birds. which And these birds in, include the unfortunately named blue-footed booby and uh, the large gulls called Nazcas. And if you ever look up a Nazca, um, I mean, there's there are nine and they were uh, they, they, they were given rings of power by Sauron and <laughs> fell. Um, no, they, uh, what I saw, Sounds I was like, like oh, that's NASCAR with an accent. NASCAR. <laughs> um, they look like the bird that they, um, made scuttle in the new, uh, little mermaid. Um, whose voice is like, Quince nails uh, taste on the chocolate, aquafina chocolate. water. Yeah, yeah, it's just the the, ref, the the refreshing taste of aquafina. Um, <laughs> so I mean, they're just large, large seafaring birds. Um, but how can a tiny finch take down a large seabird? Well, they don't take them down; they drink their milkshakes because <laughs> there will be blood. Very good. That's right. Open up your Atlas Shrug books to page 394 because we're going right back to the parasite. The finch will go up behind one of these birds while they're perched and peck at their tushes. Their their tush. I'm not going to say the rest of that. They peck at their tushes until they bleed 
and then lap up that sweet song. Bird nectar. <laughs> Bird butt nectar. Mm. Yeah. Uh, it's a blood milkshake. Um, they, and it's just such an interesting, like I, I, I saw this on a, um, a documentary and I'm just sitting there going, why, how, why are these birds allowing this to happen? Because it's not like the vampire bat, which a targets large mammals while they're sleeping and makes like these, these like hairline incisions and then laps up the blood. So that the you know these cattle don't even know that it's happening, um, or like a mosquito that you don't really know that you've been bitten by a mosquito until it's already done, basically. Usually, so they're 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 secretive, they're clandestine, they they're operatives, but not this vampire finch. It's just pecking at bird butts with its sharp beak. So it's like, what? Why are they taking this? Why, why are these blue-footed boobies and these Nazgul taken? Um, and it seems that this blood-sucking behavior uh, adapted from the Finch's previous behavior of eating and pecking parasites off of these birds. So this is just beautiful natural irony. <laughs> um, they become uh, they became the thing they were sworn to destroy. Yeah, they. <laughs> you allowed this. Dark Lord, twist your mind. <laughs> um, it just seems like so, it, and, and this is this is actually not um, not documented. There's no like hard evidence of this, but the consensus is that they used to, you know, eat they like a lot of symbiotic relationships um, in the animal kingdom. There's oftentimes large animals that will collect parasites, like uh, you know, uh, whales, <laughs> sharks, uh, large African animals, and then small smaller animals will come and eat the parasites and keep the larger animals clean. The smaller animals get a meal. The larger animals get to stay clean. Think of the cleaner wrasse. We talked about that not too long ago, um, but. The, I guess one day the vampire finch was like, uh, they just pecked a little too hard on the, uh, when they were trying to get uh, like a tick or something like that. And they drew blood and they're like, maybe these parasites are onto something. And by something, I mean this booby's buttocks, you know? And so I think I'm, I, th I think I'm going to get in on, on this, on this, uh, this blood racket <laughs> that all these, uh, <laughs> these, these ticks and whatever else are clinging to the the birds is uh are, are mooching off of so it's possible this is just one long like insurance con scam like listen you're gonna need parasite insurance you need me i'm uh, at your back you know and then they just bleed you dry with their outlandish premiums and unwillingness to pay claims <laughs> but Blood isn't good for you. <laughs> like, why do these animals keep doing this? It's not. It's not you. Ha that's not that good for you. It is if you have the right gut stuff. fauna. If you have the right stuff, yes. And by stuff, I mean gut fauna. So vampire finches have a uh, 
unique microbes. Well, it's not super unique, but they have microbes in their intestines called Peptostreptococcia. That sounds like you're battling Merlin and you're conjuring things. Prestidigitorium. <laughs> Peptostreptococcium. Um, like a stre- like streptococcus, but there's some there's some peptobismo there at the beginning, um, and th- so yeah, these are little microorganisms that um, they're also present in the intestines of vampire bats. So it's theorized that these microorganisms allow them to digest blood. Hmm. So that's. That's it. There is a bird out there that um, drinks butt blood. Bird butt blood. Bird butt bud. And uh, it's 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 the the adorable and innocuous looking finch. It's <laughs> it's like oh he's cute. If you compare it to other finches, it does have a sinister presence. It's it's. Beak is a little longer than the cute seed-eating beaks you we're used to. A little longer, a little sharp, a little curved, like a scythe, like a death scythe. Yeah. It's got. It, would you say it has aquiline features? Yeah, it's like V-shaped, angular. Yeah. Like like Dracula. Yeah, that's the only time I've ever heard anyone use the word aquiline. Me too. <laughs> and I didn't even hear it. I read it. I heard it because audiobooks. Oh, yeah, I guess I did. I did listen to it and not read it. You're not going to get me to read anymore. No. We're done with that. No. Audiobooks yeah. st- like made reading not a thing anymore, and now Canis- AI is going to make writing not a thing anymore. We'll we don't need to do any learning. of that stuff. I just want, I just, I just turn it on and I'll fall asleep and I'll wake up having listened to the whole thing and <laughs> absorbing that knowledge in my dreams. But yeah, that's all I got on the vampire pitch. That's all I got. So watch yourself if you're out there in the Galapagos Islands, or at least watch your backside. If you out there in podcast, for, for you out there in podcasting, get some of that peptostreptococcia, underwrite your insurance scam, and drink some other bird's blood milkshake like the vampire finch here in life, death, and taxonomy. Hey Taxonomy Titans, I just want to remind you that we now have a Patreon. Patrons can see full video episodes and get shoutouts on the show. But ultimately, it's a way for you to help us cover some costs and get even better. Still, reviews are the best way to help us grow. So if you haven't left one yet, we'd really love to hear from you. As always, thanks for listening and engaging. Peptoseptococcia is the funnest thing we've ever said on the show. Peptostreptococcia. 
What did I say? Pe- peptic. <laughs> I think it's septic. <laughs>